Thank you very much, Sarah, for reading to us. Let's pray with uh, the book of Daniel open before us. I praise, exalt, and glorify the King of Heaven. And we know the name of that King of Heaven, Heavenly Father. His name is Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he is a mighty tree in which we can take shelter today. As he said, of that kingdom that started small but grew large and has welcomed us in. We thank you that 2,000 years on from Christ, we are here today and want to honor him as our great king, the king of heaven. We pray that his kingdom would come in our lives, even, even as we turn to the Bible this morning. Help us to make sense of these rather strange old stories for our own day. And we pray at Heavenly Father for the honor and glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's so lovely to see people that I haven't seen in church for a while. Welcome back if it's a, a while since you've been with us. It's good to have you here, here today. And we are in the middle of this series in the book of Daniel. And uh, I think it's been a good fit for our times. Um, we, we started chapter 4 last week and had this great vision of a, a huge tree that Nebuchadnezzar had, which was going to be cut down. And we cut into the story um, at the point where 12 months on, what had been predicted to Nebuchadnezzar happened. There was a sort of stay of execution for a while on him, and the, the prediction was only fulfilled 12 months later. But we saw that the whole chapter that's been recorded by Nebuchadnezzar as his testimony isn't really a message about Nebuchadnezzar at all. Great king though he was, it is all about an even greater king, the God of heaven and earth. As he said, his, God's kingdom, is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation, which, of course, could never be said of Nebuchadnezzar or any earthly ruler before or after him. Presumably, if, if God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom, which endures from generation to generation, then this king, God Almighty, is big news not just for all people, but for all time which actually means that every one of us here, every one of us watching, has something to learn from Nebuchadnezzar's experience. Now, we highlighted last week the final sentence of the chapter. Um, if you have that before you on the service sheet or in an open Bible, great. These words right at the end, it's in, I think it's verse 37. Those who walk in pride, he, God, is able to humble which is cast as a general lesson. All those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. I mean, initially, it was Nebuchadnezzar's own story. God had humbled him. But this is for all of us to learn from. And we're following that process in his life through three stages. To begin with, we saw last week that God humbled Nebuchadnezzar through the dream that he'd had. So you remember how, at the start of the chapter, if you were here, in verse 4, everything was going absolutely fine for him. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, he says. But then in verse 5, I had a dream that made me afraid. 
as I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So he was humbled. Even if he starts tonight contented and prosperous, all it takes is a dream to shake him to his boots. His kingdom is not unshakable. But a God who predicts things through dreams, a God who knows the end from the beginning, well, he really is in control of the kingdoms of mankind. Looks like Nebuchadnezzar is in control on earth, but he isn't. And God sent the dream to make that clear. So that was our introduction to the, the theme last week. Even more humbling is actually a second point. God humbles Nebuchadnezzar through his servant, Daniel. If you um, were here last week, you'll remember that there was an angel in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Um, an angel was there to explain what was going on. And that angel corresponds in reality to Daniel, this guy who was in Babylon at the time, and uh, uh, somebody who knew God. Now, exactly as happened in chapter 2, we didn't have this bit read, but all the astrologers and magicians get summoned to explain the dream, but they can't or won't speak up. And it's left to Daniel, the servant of God, to explain the vision. So, in our language today, there's no religious guru, no space travel business celebrity, no Nobel Prize winner who's able to reveal God's plans. Only the servant of God, Daniel, in this case. And the reason is something even Nebuchadnezzar seems to be dimly aware of. We had a phrase a couple of times that came last week in our reading that explained why Daniel is God's person for the hour. Twice, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that Daniel is in a different league to all the other civil servants there because the spirit of the holy gods is in him says Nebuchadnezzar, which may be screwy theology in some ways, but he's on to something about him, isn't he? God's spirit is in Daniel, therefore he can tell me things that other people can't. And it's a wonderful picture for us of the way God can place his people in position to speak his word when it needs to be heard. When we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, when we come to the one who died for our sins and receive forgiveness from him, from that moment onwards, we are never alone. The spirit of the holy God is in us, even if we're in a dark, hostile place. And because we know the one who holds the future, God's servants can be the people to bring understanding to a situation where no one else can make sense of what's going on. And Daniel, therefore, is a standing lesson for all of us uh, it's, it's clear as the chapter unfolded he, he doesn't relish the job he's been given at all let me give you a bit of a refresher of what, what he says in verse 19 then Daniel also called Belteshazzar was greatly perplexed for a time this is after the dream has been told to him his thoughts terrified him so the king said Belteshazzar don't let the dream or its meaning alarm you Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Remember the situation. He's been deported, Daniel, from his homeland. He's speaking to the very ruler who had demolished his city and butchered his countrymen. 
And he now hears about a dream which obviously predicts the king's downfall, temporary at least, but it's obviously a serious situation. He's not laughing inwardly at this point. Ha, 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 at last you're getting your comeuppance, Nebuchadnezzar. There's no gloating, only compassion. I wish it didn't have to be this way, O king. And he's a lovely, living, breathing example of obedience to that command of Jesus to love your enemies. Yet, he's got compassion, but he's also got courage when he unpacks the dreams. We didn't have this bit read today. We had it read last week. Let me refresh your memory on it. He explains the dream. He says this, This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. Remember the, the dream of a tree being chopped down. This is what it means. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. This is where courage really comes into play in what he says. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Nebuchadnezzar hadn't asked for advice from Daniel, but with great courage, Daniel gives it. He tells the king unmistakably that he's got to acknowledge that God is the ruler. And just think about it, for him to say that, that required courage. Um, he spells out exactly what it'll mean. Stop oppressing people and start doing what's right. Which was nothing less than to suggest a complete overhaul of Nebuchadnezzar's official state policy. He had built an empire by oppressing people and exploiting people. And Daniel tells him that he can't behave as if he's in charge of God's world. So it's amazing courage, it seems to me, and it all makes me pause to ask, as you evaluate what's going on, who is the bigger individual here? Is it Nebuchadnezzar or Daniel? And I think you have to say the answer is Daniel, the messenger sent by God to give a dressing down to the most powerful human being on earth at the time. Now, I think there are lessons here for Christians. For example, Christians in the secular workplace who might feel dwarfed by those in authority over them. Daniel wasn't actually, if you think about it, a professional prophet. He was a civil servant. And as so often happens, it's not professional ministers, but godly people in what we would call secular employment who are in a position to speak his word to those who need to hear it. So I think it's worth us being aware for our own situation or for other people that God may have somebody in place in a company for a moment like this in Daniel chapter 5. And if we can muster the compassion that Daniel shows and the courage he shows, well, who knows what might result in that situation. And it was built, I think, on a, a lifetime of service and integrity on the part of Daniel as well. He lived all his adult life honoring God in Nebuchadnezzar's service before he had the opportunity to speak this way at this time. But 
the take-home lesson for us is never doubt that if we are a Christian with God's word, we can be a hugely significant force in the lives of those who think that they really are something even. I've got a wobble on the microphone that's making a noise. But stage two of that, that is uh, the humbling process, is this. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar through his servant Daniel. And I'd love us just to pause and just ponder how that might apply in our lives. We're not Daniel, but we have the opportunity to serve God and speak his word to others. There are people that you're aware of, you could speak God's word to, even if it's a a daunting prospect. I want to just quietly pray about them before we carry on to stage number three in a moment. Maybe just call to mind somebody that you could be God's appointed servant to speak of his kingdom to. And we ask that you would give us, therefore, compassion and courage to be part of your work in that person's life. In Jesus' name, amen. So get the two stages we thought about. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar through the dream. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar through a servant, Daniel. It could be you and me that he'll use that way. Stage three, God humbled Nebuchadnezzar by the reversal of fortunes that he encountered. This is the bit that Sarah particularly read to us. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, isn't this the great Babylon I've built as the royal reverence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what's decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. It's 12 months have passed, and the dream, it seems, was almost forgotten. Um, maybe Nebuchadnezzar was allowing himself to say, Daniel's dream, what a load of nonsense that was. He was the great ruler on earth, not the Lord God of Israel, he thought. And I suppose on one level there was plenty to be proud of. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But then the one who had delusions of being more than human suddenly suffers a crushing illness. And fittingly he has delusions that he is less than human. He behaves as if he's an animal. I think this is a recognized medical condition, I'd be interested to talk to people that know, called lycanthropy. A person thinks themselves to be an animal while somehow still preserving sufficient inner consciousness to remember who they actually are. And it's tragic, is it not, that it took this to break Nebuchadnezzar, his deepest humiliation coming at the moment of his most 
overweening pride. Now, we are not to look at Nebuchadnezzar and pat ourselves on the back as if we are not capable of that kind of pride. I don't doubt that Nebuchadnezzar's language in verse 30 occasionally crosses our minds, even if we don't actually let it pass our lips. But don't we think this way sometimes? Look what a career I've built. Look what a family I've built. Look what a ministry I've built. We've got to take great care if that's the way we find ourselves thinking. Because it may leave God with only one option, to humble us in some way. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar through this change of circumstances which he encountered. And it should have happened long, long before in his life. Imagine you book a self-catering holiday cottage, and when you arrive, you discover, to your horror, something you never saw in the photos, that there's a factory next door with a hammer drill that's pounding all night long, and it's deafening. You don't sleep at all the first night of the holiday. The whole bed is shaking. On the second noise, the, the second night, the noise is still there, but you, you do manage somehow to get a few minutes sleep. And well, you're so exhausted, you can't help it. But by the end of the week, the hammering's still going on, and you're sleeping like a baby, as sound as the people who've lived near the factory all their lives long. You don't even notice the noise that once seemed so deafening. That's roughly plausible, isn't it? Something like that had been happening to Nebuchadnezzar with the things of God. God had been knocking all the time on the door. Daniel's witness in chapter 1 had been a knock from God because God gave him wisdom beyond anybody else. Daniel interpreting the dream in chapter 2. Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace in chapter 3. The knocking is still going on to say to Nebuchadnezzar, I'm here, let me into your life. Human pride is like a a persistent garden weed, even when it's cut down and less visible for a while, it grows back again. So he's had all these pointers, but he's gradually, the noise is lessening in his mind, he's less aware of God's knock. And We're like that, aren't we? We can be so easily deceived. We think we've learned the lesson. We think we've got the better of our pride. Well, that's the same trap, isn't it? And how is God going to convince us in that situation? The knocking continues. Nebuchadnezzar got so used to God's knocking that he no longer hears it. And so in chapter 4, God knocks with such force that the door comes, as it were, right off its hinges. It takes that much to bring him to his senses. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eye towards heaven and my sanity was restored, verse 34. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation So the punchline comes at the end of the chapter, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. 
and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Well, it's an apt message for national rulers, I'm sure. We've got to pray for them. But don't you see what message Nebuchadnezzar wants to communicate to you and to me as well? It's for us. It's not just for rulers. Don't put God in the same position as Nebuchadnezzar did. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. And of course, he would much rather that we humble ourselves beforehand. So good to have confession as part of our services week by week. How much better to bow the knee to the one who really rules, the Most High. And of course, the ruler who was willing to humble himself and die on the cross for our pride and rebellion. To acknowledge him today and every day is to step back to sanity which all of us need. Let's pray together. We pray, gracious God, that you would be merciful to us, that we wouldn't need the the school of hard knocks, but would heed your voice and, and accept your warning and accept your wooing and your love in the Lord Jesus Christ rather than resisting it. And then when we're humbled, we pray you would graciously lift us up again and use us in your service as Daniel's today as best we can. We pray it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.